So make sure you give it permission. Welcome everyone to Earth. And body. Ecosystems. Ecosystems. <laughs> I'm we'll get yes. One of these days, right? Right, right. So I'm here. We are joined by my good friend, Miss Diane Jaraki. And I'm going to let you, let her tell you her own story. And then we'll get into some questions and talk and all that good stuff. So take it away, Diane. Okay, well, I am a professional Tarot Lenormand and Oracle card reader, a metaphysical life coach, and a Reiki master teacher. I've been energy healing since the 1980s, but I'm on a new adventure. We just moved from the suburbs outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, back to my home state of New Hampshire and to an area where we're zoned rural agricultural, rural, I hate that word, agricultural, <laughs> which is what we were looking for because like we've, we weren't allowed to have chickens where we lived before, but we had them anyway. We just kept it down to having like three or four and making sure we only had hens. And luckily, most of the time, none of our neighbors complained. We had one neighbor complain we had to get rid of one flock because the one neighbor was elderly. She was really, really sick. And her daughter was a real pain in the patootie during that, uh, during that time, trimming our lilac bush so we never got lilacs on it. And just really being... Ugly. Yeah, she was really ugly about everything. And, you know, I mean, she was arguing over where the property line was and because we pulled, we took off two boxwoods that were on our property and they had a fit about it, but they were blocking the ability to see down the road to see cars coming. And I just, I don't like boxwood, boxwoods that have to be trimmed. You know, I love boxwoods. They're very medicinal as long as they're growing the way they're supposed to grow and not being made into some stupid square looking shape like they do in the suburbs with them. You know, and, so you so you experience the suburbs and all the oh yeah. people. So, so they turned so. us in. They reported that. So the property pin was there. They called the cops. They pulled out the property pin and called the cops to report it as us moving the pin. And it backfired on them because they got nailed for pulling out the property pin because that's illegal. I mean, that so life in the suburbs did not suit us well, right? Oh, I wish I could get my email to stop doing that. Um, so, so you live where we can do what we want and we can have chickens and we can have more of them. So, you know, we're, and rather than the way we gardened in the suburbs with doing real neat rows and everything, I started to learn about permaculture gardening and, you know, in the suburbs, they kind of frown on that here. I can do it. If I can find a sunny spot, <laughs> I can do it. And so we're going to make, we're actually, we're making an area for me to put a garden into, clearing some forest back a little bit to make some spaces. So, you know, the start of permaculture, um, living and, ho and homesteading and everything, when you see other channels, you see them when everything's all established and it looks all beautiful. And you don't see them at the start because like, we're not even going to get started on that until next year. You know, the real start is the clearing and the getting the chickens and stuff. You know, it's the little stuff right now and taking a year to see what we already have on the property and where it is and then decide about things we want to move to make this our own place and how to go about that. But working with the soil, we have a, you know, in Pennsylvania, we had really thick clay. Here, we have a very sandy, acidic soil. But I've got to learn how to work with that because I don't want to like amend it too much. And then, 
it makes sense to do the permaculture here because we have so many trees and you start out, you have a, you've got several layers to permaculture garden because you have the canopy layer. Then you have the shrub layer. Then you have like the herb and vegetable layer so that, you know, so I'm working with that. And then some sunny areas for things like tomatoes and stuff that need more sun. Um, so working to, you know, develop all of that in. And it just makes more sense to me why, you know, like why I'm turning over into doing the permaculture because it's working with nature instead of against nature and it's nurturing the soil, putting those things back into the soil that we've taken out, you know, by letting those things grow. Nature abhors a, a vacuum. So when you're pulling all those weeds, which are usually medicinal and edible plants out of your garden, you're also stripping nutrients out of your soil you know, rather than feeding the soil to feed those plants to grow into something even better. So if you're organic grow, you know, organic gardening, but you're stripping out what nature's putting in there to help your soil, then you're really kind of, in my opinion, blowing the point of organic gardening. So. Absolutely. Uh, I totally agree. I, I love the idea of permaculture because it, it is. It's about working with your existing ecosystems and planting plants that will grow very easily in your zone and in your area. And like, since I'm a little bit familiar with New Hampshire <laughs> and <laughs> a little bit, we do have variable soils depending on where um, you live, you know, because we have really rocky terrain in some areas, and then we have river bottoms, which is more uh, sandy and clay and more can be a little bit more rich, but we also have abundance of natural berries. So actually permaculture really lends itself for um, growing berries like blackberries, strawberries. I, we had wild strawberries all over our field this year. I, unfortunately it was too difficult for me this year to gather them but they are better than the things and the natural size of a strawberry is actually just the tip of your thumb that's a real strawberry the one you buy in the store even though they're organic is not a really a natural occurring strawberry so this is why permaculture to me is so exciting because like diane says she's going to see what she already has on her land and she can incorporate that right into her permaculture beds right diane yeah and i am excited because my um my little plant identification app had identified one thing growing out here as coriander and my niece took and she rubbed it and smelled it. She said, oh no, you have mugwort here. Yeah. No, so. no surprise to me because mugwort is quite plentiful in New Hampshire. And in fact, lots of times you'll see it growing along the roadsides. And mugwort for all the, is a, especially if you live where it grows, near where it grows, is a great alternative to sage. And it, in fact, it is known as Eastern sage. And so you can use that uh, for smudging and anything like that. And plus it also has a great medicinal properties, but I'm like, we'll get back to Diane. I digress. <laughs> I'm you. <laughs> yep, there we go. Sorry, hit the wrong, I, I forgot. It happens. Anyway, that's one of the things we'll be moving because the previous owner had this lovely, idea and she used tires for planters and we'll be getting rid of those so everything up there by the trailer is going to be moving anyway because that's where you know here's the recycle reuse homestead slash permaculture thing we have a trailer on our property that we're going to make part of that into the chicken coop it's a shed right now and we're going to but it's still in good condition so part of it will remain storage, but the one part of it that already has a lean-to off of it, that'll be like a natural area that the chickens can go hide under in the rain and stuff without having to go back into the coop if they don't want to. 
they still want to be outdoors have a little like a porch for them <laughs> and um and then putting the runoff there so that stuff's going to have to move anyway but since it's kind of semi-contained in the tires that'll be an easy one there's two of them with the mugwort growing in um, I've got yarrow growing by the roadside here. So I'm going to gather some seed heads for that. Um, a friend of mine has valerian growing in her garden. She said she'll you know, gather seed heads for me for that too. And, you know, so foxglove. So I'm finding I've got some good medicinals growing here that I'm going to keep. And then I got to figure out the foods I can work with too, so that we can grow our own food here that's the idea to have both medicinals and food mainly here and then stuff the previous owner was a habitat gardener she was all about taking care of like the butterflies and the bees so we've got lupins and things like that which i'll keep but again i'm going to have to move because those are sitting where we want to put a garage in the future um but then we've also got to have a forest area so one thing that i'm also working on learning and this is a great resource I've picked up, is farming the woods, because there are things like golden seal and mushrooms and stuff that are really easy to grow in the woods. Because one thing I also want to do is be able to make, you know, part of my living off the land. That's part of the goal here with the permaculture, with the homesteading, to be able to sell lupin seeds and foxglove seeds if people want them you know and stuff and have mushrooms that we grow and things you know so we want to do the want to work with the fact that it is a heavily forested land and area that we're in and work to grow what we can again medicinals and edibles that will grow in the forest Diane, do you have any idea what kind of mushrooms you're going to grow or you would like to grow? Well, one, we actually have a reishi growing naturally on a fallen hemlock here. I found that and got really excited when I looked it up and found out what it was. So I've got books on mushrooms. I've got books on you know, permaculture farming because this is all new to me. I'm learning everything. I'm running around with my phone, taking pictures and, and working with an app to identify stuff, which again, usually accurate once in a blue moon, not. Um, <laughs> and my niece, anytime she comes out here, she and I walk the land and identify more stuff. You know, Every season I've had her out with me. I have winterberry growing like a weed all over the place here. Strawberries, blueberries. We have both high bush and low bush blueberries. Um, rugosa rosa. You know, so there's a lot of things I'm learning. So there's rose hips. That's again something I can use medicinally and that I can sell. And um, probably try morels. There is a New Hampshire mushroom farm not that far from us. So this should be an area where we can grow some really good mushrooms. What I have to learn is what kind of trees that or soil that they need so that I can make areas that are healthy for them or find the ones that will work in what I naturally have, which is my preference. So you oh you got high bush and low bush. What were some of the other plants that you identified already? Oh yeah, um, and then tons of ferns. <laughs> tons of well, ferns. That's <laughs> well, it's cinnamon fiddle. ferns, royal ferns, and brackens. And I got to get rid of the brackens in some areas because those are poisonous to chickens. Mm. Well, if you have fiddlehead, there you go. Those are you know usually a delicacy in springtime. Yes, the bracken fiddleheads are for humans, but like I said, the brackens I can't have them because of the chickens. Ah, okay. Yeah, they grow literally like a weed around here. So, yeah, that's not surprising. <laughs> we have uh, there's a couple down here that they're growing mushrooms, and if you want, I could see if I could put you in touch with him, and maybe he can help you with the uh, soil and types. I know they grow the reishi, changa, lion's mane, and there's a couple others that they grow. But of course, we're in Louisiana, so things are going to be different from here to there. 
But I mean, if you want, maybe I could put you in contact with him and maybe you could pick his brain. Yeah, and see if he's got some um, like really good resources. I've got a couple of books already and there's some I've got in my, you know, like waiting on Amazon. Yeah, I, well, if you wanna, if you wanna provide me with, sorry, Heidi, if you wanna provide me with your contact information, you can put it in the in the chat towards the end of the show. I'll be talking to him this weekend, and then we can. And one interesting thing is that they, this couple, they make a tincture with all the mushrooms. So cool. once you get your mushrooms going, that's something else to maybe consider. And you know, to sell it, they're selling two ounce bottles for twenty and a three ounce bottle for thirty. So. Yeah, well, that's absolutely one of the things that I eventually I've wanted to make tinctures and things for years. I actually started an herb garden like 12 years ago or 13 years ago in Pennsylvania with the with an eye towards making them. And I've just never gotten around to doing it. And so this time it's like, nope, buckling down, you know, and when I start growing this stuff, then I've got a good area now to harvest and dry things in which I didn't really have before because I would have had to have done it like in my garage or my basement. Now I actually have like a little area that's off the house, but enclosed where I can do that. And down in the basement, I'm gonna set up, like we're putting in a kitchenette down there and that's gonna be where I keep all my stainless steel stuff to do my herbal preparations in like kind of a whole separate kitchen area. I wish I had that because I do tinctures too, but I don't, everything is like in the kitchen and with the counter space and people come over here and they just kind of like, look at it. <laughs> what is that? And then I brew kabucha. So I got my jar of scabby sitting there and yeah, I don't know what people think when they come to my house who don't know me or what I do. Well, uh, that's, that's why I really want to set that area up down there so that it's a guest kitchen for like when our kids and grandkids and stuff come in, but it's also got all of my mason jars, you know, because I, I don't have enough in this enough room in this kitchen for all that storage. Yeah. Yeah. Those um, to store all that. So that kitchen area I can set up with the storage to be able to have that focus for that, you know, and it's got pathways leading to outdoors very easily from down there and stuff. So it's a better area for me to do it in. I would really say Diane has really started from scratch just about um, the property and the home that she bought. Um, she, I would really call it old fashioned homesteading and turning um, what was there into something livable is quite amazing. Um, you want to tell a little bit about that? I really think it's amazing what you've done with the place um, and how far you've come in less than a year to have those nice bookshelves in the back and everything you know I, I think it's quite interesting yeah which by the way it might look like it but this is not an office this is actually my hallway my laundry is there uh, <laughs> and that doorway there I, th I thought it was a kitchen yeah no this this is a, the hallway and like that right there is actually the master bedroom and that doorway behind me is my future office right now it's an enclosed porch with a, a slope to the floor that's three inches down from, you know, over a, like an eight foot width span. So we've got to bring it up to level first because otherwise my rolly chair and I are going to be up against the wall the whole time. <laughs> I can't, I can't work in it with that slope. So that is part of the delay, what Heidi mentioned about turning this into a livable space because what we bought Somebody was living here, but I wouldn't have called it livable. Um, first off, this whole upstairs was never built to be a livable space. It was built to be a workshop slash warehouse for them because they had a business selling. Um, well, he sold for sure fine art and then crystals and stones. He was a lapidary, so he cut stones and everything. I have all the lapidary tools. I have his stone tumbler. 
I have a really good professional grade jewelers loops as well as some less lesser ones that are just like plastic around them, um, ring sizers, a whole bunch of crystals came with the house. There's a lot of good that came with the house, but then there's a lot of glassware, dish sets, um, you know, I don't know, some pair of cowboy boots and coats because they sold all of this stuff. And at one point they ran the shop out of here. And I think until it started to look too much like a hoarder's place, and then they must have closed it because I, I've heard that later people weren't allowed to come in here. And yet at one point they did have this open to the public as a shop. Um, we bought the house with all of its contents and our, <laughs> our, our first, uh, 30 days were really interesting because on very tight timeline, actually our first couple of weeks on very tight timelines, we had to get stuff out of here to make room for our stuff to come in, had no running water. We had a three foot deep, um, my husband says it's a dug well, not a point driven. Usually that shallow is a point driven well, but anyway, it was like, it's just in a little spring house. There's this little well with a well pump that we could never get working. So we didn't have running water. Our first couple of days, we didn't have electricity. <laughs> you know, it's been, and we're not campers. Like neither one of us are the type that's ever gone and done roughing it anywhere. We don't like that. My idea of camping was always hotel rooms or an RV, you know, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he's the same way. So yeah, we, you know, it, it was really, really rough. And We've had to do things like rebuild the stairwell. The stairwell, you needed to be a mountain goat to climb and it went right down into a wall. We've had to, you know, we had to adjust that from, you know, being such a steep angle and put that at a normal angle, tearing up floor. Had to make a kitchen up here out of where there was a closet. And, you know, they had a bedroom up here, but it was made out of, the walls were made out of furniture. It was the weirdest. Yes, Joy, I know. That's right. We'd never, ever, either one of us ever seen anything like this. We bought it online off of the video tour from our agent who, you know, we've laughed and said you could have made a drinking game out of how often he said how much stuff or junk there was in the house. I mean, I kid you not, we've put out two of the really the largest dumpsters you can get for rollout dumpsters out of this house. And there's another dumpster pile waiting for us to be able to get another dumpster in here. Do you know how old it's? Um, yeah, she bought the land in 75 and the house says it was built in 76, but that may only be the basement portion because initially she and her daughters, and I don't know if her, pre, if her husband, when she was married, if, um, he lived here too for a while or not. There's, you know, it's sketchy back then. It was purchased in her name, the land, but her married name. Um, I'm presuming because she went back to her maiden name that it was a really bad divorce because she did a family tree and he's not in it, but the girls are, including his, his daughter, her stepdaughter. Um, so, I'm figuring there was a really bad thing that happened there at some point, but I haven't talked to anybody that can, you know, that has verified for me what happened. Um, so I'm presuming the basement 76, when this upper was built, I don't know because it was her partner later who lived here with her and had the business with her who built this. Now he was a fine art dealer and, you know, the lapidary, right? So builder, he was not, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> Place has that, good bones and that's why we bought it. Classic New England building, I would say, you know, you add on where you can, if you put oh. an extra roof on, that's pretty normal for New England. And, you know, that's, the way you know things happen around here <laughs> well and that's exactly you can tell that's what's happened around this place I mean it's really obvious because that back porch up here the reason it's built with the Florida slope is because it was first a porch roof for down below and then they just enclosed it and they never leveled first oh 
that's actually true of the floor, except it, they built our floor on two by fours that are standing this way, and then put the wood floor over it because like I said, they lived in the basement first, they sloped that roof. It is the weirdest house. This, this is all definitely, you know, the, the typical New England, that it's been added on and added on and things that were a porch got enclosed and, you know, it's, but we're turning it into this really cute little cozy cottage in the woods and really making it our own. I mean, we have a blank slate, right? That we could make our own place and make it fit our needs not for just now, but for the future. That downstairs is gonna get the second bedroom, another bathroom, the kitchenette, a living space. And then there's another enclosed porch down there that's under part of this one. Um, so it's under where my desk will be and my storage and everything that I'm gonna have hopefully as a public area for because there's a separate driveway that comes in right with that and a separate doorway. Since that was the main entrance to it when they lived there in the basement. So I want to make that into like my public, like reading space and Reiki and everything. So I want to ask you, what's the best thing that you're really looking forward to when you get some of the permaculture started? I mean, is it something that really you, you know, um, looking forward to? Oh, I feel like just when it's finally really all kind of established and I'm able to start harvesting and doing the things like starting to make the tincture tinctures and stuff and, you know, actually able to start working that like I wanted to do for so long. Um, so I'm looking forward to the actually having things growing and being able to start harvesting off of it for the first time. That's gonna be an exciting moment. In general, the next thing I'm looking forward to is having my office done so we can get me out of the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, what's, uh, what's uh, so I'm gonna put you on the spot again. So what's so far, you know, cause this is a learning process for you. And that's why I think it's fun to talk with somebody that's like you said, not already established, but you're in the learning process. What's the most interesting thing you've learned so far that you didn't know about permaculture? Oh, yeah, <laughs> the wheels are turning. Yeah, I'm just trying to think like, what's the most interesting aspect of it that I've learned so far? Because when I started this, I didn't even really know a lot about permaculture and I'm still I mean like really I'm in the beginning phases of learning um but I, mean, I think it's learning things like the fact that you can spread the like mushroom seeds on dead logs and that that's how you can grow a lot of your mushrooms that was that was one of definitely the most interesting things for me to learn about permaculture was how to use the logs to do the mushrooms for some of the mushrooms that yeah the ones that eat trees but that you have to have an already naturally felled dead tree to do it you cannot cut down the tree fresh and expect to do it it has to already be rotting and so diane i want to i want to ask you something i was on i was on your website and I was reading where you were able to now have roosters where you are, and you were saying that roosters do have some benefits. I'm interested in what are some of the, we're, we're wanting to get chickens. So what are some of the benefits of having, having roosters? And that's, you know, it's funny because where we lived before, we couldn't have had a rooster. Absolutely not. The egg song that chickens sing is loud enough, right? <laughs> when you're living in that kind of neighborhood. Um, here, a lot of people have roosters because one of the big benefits, we live in a very predator heavy area. We have bobcat, foxes, bears, weasels, hawks, owls, ravens, you name it, 
We have every predator in the books that roams in this area, living in these woods around us. One of the biggest benefits to a rooster is that they will warn the ladies and herd them in to safety, and then they will fend off the predator. So usually the first one to die is gonna be your rooster because he's protecting his flock. That's his job, is to protect those ladies. Because um, my husband, as soon as we discovered we had a rooster, he's like, well, that's going to the soup pot. And I said, wait a minute, everything happens for a reason. Out of all the flocks that he's had before me and the flocks that I've had, you know, I think he had one flock before we met and we had a couple of flocks because after we had to get rid of those chickens, we got more when that, you know, when that situation was over <laughs> and um, we've never had a rooster. And then out of this batch, the last batch of chickens we got, we ended up with one roo. And this was from a breed that's supposed to be autosexing, where that's not supposed to even happen. So you, you look at all those odds and you have to say that happened for a reason, right? Um, the other benefit to roosters is that they do make it so that the, um, the hens egg, lay eggs more in the colder, shorter months, because typically egg production falls off at that time without a rooster. And with a rooster, they'll keep laying more in those months. So we'll see how that goes. That's what I've heard. And then fertilized eggs. Again, if you're homesteading in permaculture and you want a renewable food source, you don't want all hens because no fertilized eggs. Can't have chicks. So if you're trying to do that and make sure that you're going to be able to keep producing your own renewable resources, you need a rooster, you know. They can be a great alarm clock, but. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's mainly the protection factor that made me say, you know what, because, and, and he will. Roosters do things like, you put treats in, he'll, he's the first one. He comes right over to see what, you, what it is. And then he'll let the ladies know, hey, there's something good over here. Come get some. But he's already been a huge benefit to us because we ended up with two different sets of chicks. The first set, we ordered nine chickens, you know, nine chicks from a hatchery that we have ordered from before and had really good chickens out of it and really loved them. They were our favorite out of all the ones we had ever had. But we ordered three types and three of each type to get the nine. And the day they shipped those out, every shipment that they sent out that day was delayed. And where we live gets kind of an extra day anyway. Now you have to know chicks can last seven. The reason they hatcheries can mail them across the country is because chicks are designed so that, whoops, sorry about that. Um, pardon Raven in the background. So that they can live for up to 72 hours without anything because the first eggs that hatch under the mother don't get anything until the, all the eggs are hatched. She's not gonna move off them till they're all done, except to eat and drink real quick and that's it. So the, they eat the yolk on their way out of the egg and that provides them enough nutrients for 72 hours. So typically hatcheries, as soon as they're hatched, they pack and ship. And if you're getting the Merrick vaccine, then they give that first real quick and then pack and ship. And those shipped out on a Monday and we got them Friday. One chick dead, two barely surviving, you know, and everybody kind of weak and everything. So we started, you know, the electric light water and different things trying to revive everyone. We had three that were really, really strong. Another one that was uh, um, one that kind of kept going in and out the first day after they arrived, the two weakest ones did die. The next day, 
three more died during that day. And so we only ended up with three survivors. So we said, well, we really wanted nine. We're not going to do that again because with the, you know, with the hatchery, they, you could get a refund or a reship. Well, we weren't doing a reship. <laughs> I was like, nope. So we found a place here. We got two different breeds and got three of each of those, but they were a month apart. So we had basically two separate flocks because they're too far. You have to have them within two weeks of each other to be able to put them right from the beginning. Otherwise, the temperature difference that they can handle is too great and the size difference is too great and the older ones will kill the younger ones. Do remember chickens are basically baby, they're just, they're, they're velociraptors. Dinosaurs, chickens are dinosaurs. Birds are what happened to the dinosaurs. In general, all birds go back to dinosaurs. Um, chickens are velociraptors what they evolved from. There's your answer to what came first, the chicken or the egg. <laughs> so they have that, you know, primal instinct and they will just kill and they are very carnivorous. Um, so we had to wait. Well, we kind of got impatient and merged them when we probably still shouldn't have because the others, there was still quite a size difference. They no longer had a different temperature need, but there was still a size difference. And he did a really great job at keeping those older girls from bullying the younger ones. He set right from the beginning of letting them know he was in charge because he's the rooster. And, you know, if they started, not, not aggressively, not being mean, just enough, when it was needed, like any time, because they really were picking the little Barnevelders. They're like the smallest of all of all of the breeds, and they'll remain the smallest. And they're very mild and sweet personalities and stuff. There's they're not aggressive at all. And so the big ones were kind of really picking on. They'd go after those Barnevelders, and he would, you know, as soon as he saw that or heard it, boom, and he'd find the offending one and them on the back of the neck just enough to say eh, I'm in charge and I don't take that <laughs> not acceptable you know and yeah he's he so he did a remarkable job and that's why nobody got harmed <laughs> and they're now like it's taken about a week but they're now finally kind of merging into being one flock but the others have also gotten a little bit bigger in that time too yeah, we'd have probably had to have waited until more like about now or next week before merging them if that hadn't. But it was getting hard because the brooder was split and everybody was kind of getting too big to be in the two smaller areas. We really needed to enlarge that into the one brooder. And it's kind of why we did it a little earlier and hoped for the best, kept an eye on them at first and did it like, you know, we put one of the bigger ones in first and this is my first time I did a lot of research on how to do this. And then she was getting harassed too much, though. He was really like chasing her. So we brought another one over after a few minutes of that. And, you know, th then she had a buddy and that calmed him down, too. He just ignored them and they were huddled over in a corner. But now the other one was going crazy because she was by herself. <laughs> she was the biggest bully of those three. She's the Easter egger. We've I thought three golden laced Wyandotts that all three of those had survived. And I found out later that no, as they matured and really started to like, you know, feather out, I was like, no, she's got really a different face and her legs are green and what in the world is she? And she was one of the Easter eggers. So two Wyandotts and an Easter egger from the first. And that Easter egger is kind of aggressive. So she's been a little bit of a bully, but you know, so he was very helpful in protecting those little ones from the big ones. So it sounds like a lot of joy, though, with these chickens, you know, very entertaining. And Ooh. they are so funny to watch. I never, ever have gotten over the entertainment factor with chickens because they're just so cute. <laughs> you know, 
when we had them in the yard, they'd come across, you open the back patio door to go out, you know, or we would open the back patio door to go out into our backyard. And they would come doing this like hop waddle across to say hi. Their little butts are wiggling and their you know, wings are way out. And they're just like coming across. And it, it's just so funny every time. <laughs> or to watch them when one gets something good. Shredded carrots, one of the best things to put out, okay? They'll, they'll get a piece of that shredded carrot. One of them will pick it up and start going away and everybody chases them. You know, if, if one's got something good, everybody's got to go try to get it from them. And they're, they're just funny to watch. <laughs> <laughs> and they're good at getting bugs and small yes. rodents. They will go after them. So yeah, they, they'll kill mice and yeah. ticks and a lot of other bugs. So like we had a lot less stink bugs. We had, you know, you, you'll have a lot fewer, even of your flying bugs and stuff with chickens around. Um, it's good for your garden to go ahead and let them in for a few minutes. You don't want to let them just free range in your garden or you won't have one, but letting them in to free range for a few minutes to get all the bugs. Cause that's the first thing they'll go after. Or I've seen people build um, like little tunnels for them around the garden. So they go, go around the perimeter and get the bugs and keep the bugs from penetrating in. And they can eat some of the outer leaves, but they are not destroying your entire garden. So you sacrifice a little bit of the perimeter vegetation, basically, to protect the rest of your garden. Uh, I've seen people like when the season's over, they'll let them free range in the garden space in the fall. And, oh, yeah, because I'll tell yeah. you. OK, so one of the biggest principles of permaculture gardening is you do not rototill. Because tilling your soil is actually one of the worst things that you can do for your soil. It packs it down. It does, you know, it doesn't aerate it. Quite the opposite, because it disturbs it, and then it gets packed down and everything. Rototilling absolutely the like worst thing you can ever do to prep a garden. The best way to do any kind of rototilling is to let your chickens in it. And they'll, you know, dig at that soil on the surface and they'll get rid of the, you know, the bugs that are not beneficial and everything, you know, the pests, and they'll kind of turn the surface without disturbing the roots of things that you do want in there. Because again, we like the mycelium, weeds, yeah. you know, <laughs> like the mycelium layer that we were speaking about. Yes, yes that yeah. mycelium layer yeah, and yeah. all of that you know, and they'll just kind of scratch the surface up a little bit. The, so the best thing, livestock is the best thing you can put in your garden to get your soil ready. Or like you said, Heidi, at the end of mm -hmm. the season, because they'll eat all the rest of the stuff that you haven't harvested out. You know, they'll eat the rest of those greens and stuff and they'll mow it right down. Yeah. So that, so that, that's an integral part of everything is using mm -hmm. the resources of your animals and, um, you know, and your waste products, like um, you can use cardboard and paper and things like that to um, what they call sheet mulching, right? That's a really mm -hmm. good thing. And it helps keep that stuff down and to prepare the soil. And then the worms love the paper and the the cardboard and they'll come in and they'll eat that and so it's really a wonderful wonderful process and it like it's all about working with the it's an ecosystem so basically you're creating your own garden ecosystem on your property um, that works with the natural environment the natural plants that are already there and you can also bring in the plants that are really <clears throat> that do well in your zone. So it's really, really fascinating. I was wondering if you wanted to speak a little bit about your tarot and what you offer for that. Um, again, a little bit, I just want to address first the, the sheet mulching. So yeah, one thing, you know, since we did just move here, all the big, like any big boxes, I've saved those because now that I know the areas I'm going to start with, late this fall, I'll do that sheet mulching. The other good thing chickens are letting them into your garden at the end for because the poop then fertilizes your soil because 
it has time to sit in there. When it's fresh, it's hot and you can't, it'll burn your plants. But if you do it at the end of the season, then it has time to lay in there and become good fertilizer. You know, or like in our case, one thing I'm doing is saving all of the shavings and poop combo from cleaning out the brooder. And when I lay down the sheet mulching, then I'll lay that over it too in a layer so that as the soil starts to get created, that all goes down into it. Um, so for tarot, I, mean, I offer my readings right now, again, until I get my office, I don't have a really great place to do in-person readings. So for right now, I'm doing them via Skype. You know, I, I can do Skype, Google Meet, uh, Facebook Messenger, FaceTime, you know, any online medium. I do kind of a combination in my readings where I use tarot, usually at least with an oracle. And then if something needs clarification, I may throw some Lenormand cards. Um, I do kind of a very intuitive reading style where I'll choose the deck and the way I'm going to read the cards based on how I feel intuitively right before it. And it's always worked out really, really well and been like just the right thing. So it's why I go with that. Um, unless somebody has a specific request. I mean, if somebody really wants to have a Lenormand instead of a tarot reading, then I absolutely will do that. Um, and then the readings are also part of the metaphysical life coaching. I combine the readings with the Reiki with actual like coaching steps and methodologies for that. What's the, the type of card you're mentioning that begins with the L? Oh, Lenormand. Yeah, what is that, please? Lenormand is, okay, um, let me grab it real quick. So Lenormand cards come from Europe. They are smaller. It's a 36 card deck. Poker or... Um, Bridge size. Bridge is a little narrower than the poker, but they're the same height. And it has different symbolism, like the ring, the stars, cross. So the cross is about burdens. Um, stars is about like navigation, also can be internet and things technical now. Um, ring relationships and things that go in circles and things. So there's different, like this is different than tarot. It started in the late 1800s by a woman named Madame Lenormand who, or at least it's credited to her. Um, she was the psychic and tarot reader for Napoleon and Marie Antoinette. So, and really good friends with Marie. That's how she got into it. Um, and like I said, credited to her, named after her, but it really came from the Game of Hope and a card game called Piquet. And then the meanings apparently for the cards come from tea leaves. So it's kind of a mesh of things that came in to make this. Uh, very accurate, where tarot is very much like you look at the image and see, or at least taromancy. Now there's taromancy and cartomancy. They're not the same thing. Taromancy is your Rider Waite Smith way of reading. Cartomancy is your Tara de Marseille way of reading. And that's the original. That would have been what Madame Lenormand actually did. Or Mademoiselle, actually, Lenormand actually did. She was never married. Um, she would have done cardamancy with tarot, but like I said, it, it later got attributed to her because supposedly there was like a deck of playing cards that was found in her thing with different things written all over them. And those are supposed to be the, where they kind of got the meanings for the Lenormand cards. Is that so the, why, that's why some of the Lenormand have 
um, associations with uh, deck of playing cards. Like they, they have all like, have associations yeah, with yeah. deck of playing cards. Yes, e even the tarot has associations with. Well, it does as yeah, far as yeah. suits and stuff. But like, okay, for example, um, yeah. So the the woman card is the ace of spades. Oops, wrong part of the deck. Whoop. Um, okay, how did I end up? Or the ace of swords in tarot. Um, like the ring, ace yeah. of clubs, the stars, the six of hearts. So, but some of your cards are missing. Right. So, like I said, because that's the 36 comes from PK. The cards that are missing out of the deck are the ones that they take out for PK. So the main difference between those cards and the tarot cards would be the number of cards, correct? The number of cards, the symbology and meanings and the way it's read, because it really goes back to truly reading in a cardomantic fashion. So you do techniques like mirroring, uh, you're laying them out in lines instead of spreads. Understand it was the Golden Dawn um, when they came along and the, the Court de Gablin and stuff before them, the esoteric people who superimposed a bunch of different stuff over the tarot. I don't use astrology when I read. Astrology is astrology, tarot is tarot to me because I really still read in very much a straight cardomantic fashion, even if I'm using a Rider-Waite-Smith deck. I don't do taromancy, I do cardomancy. So I tend to read in lines. Cardomancy, what does that mean? Well, cardomancy is divination with cards. So cardomancy the, is the big category that tarot falls into. And you will hear people call tarot cardomancy, but if you're using a Rider-Waite-Smith deck in the Rider-Waite-Smith or Golden Dawn, meth Dawn method, where you're reading into the imagery and you're using astrology and stuff, then you're doing taromancy. You're not doing cardomancy. Cardomancy is more straightforward in its meanings. So it has a smaller set of meanings for the cards because then you're also talking more of a tarot de Marseille style of reading so you know and that's a Terra de Marseille deck my favorite system actually has become the Terra de Marseille because I prefer cardomancy it's more linguistic it's more straightforward um whereas the right away Smith is more interpretive or intuitive intuitive yeah yeah there you, there are the basic meanings but it really it lends itself for intuitive especially when you have decks that are so different um like with the tarot de marseille it's it never really changes and the same i would say with the lenormand even if it's a little bit stylish you still have the same straight picture it doesn't basically matter what's in yeah the background on these you're not paying attention to that the ring is right. the ring if there was a black cat and some trees and stuff down here or whatever, you, it wouldn't be if the black cat catches your attention, then it means that no, the ring is the ring is the ring, no matter what's going on in the, which is why most Lenormand cards won't have a lot of background stuff going on. It will simply be the image of the symbol with like some kind of just a back, you know, like a background that all of the cards have because you don't want a lot of other scenario stuff going in there um, when you're using a true Lenormand deck. Kind of why the Celtic Lenormand, I love the deck, but it was done to be both a Lenormand and an Oracle. So it has a lot of that background stuff that doesn't really belong in a Lenormand deck. Just saying. Right. <laughs> and so, and like the, when you say the IWS, a, a lot of those, except for the original Wide Away Smith, there are so many interpretations and they all read a little differently because of the pictures and what jumps out at you. Because if you read intuitively, mentally, the way I do, then you're picking up on those pictures in that deck. Um, yeah, and that's really going to change the symbolism. You're still going to have the base of that card, but it's going to change that symbolism 
dramatically, depending how the artist has depicted, um, let's say the Ace of Swords, you know, it all depends how they've been interpreted, what they brought into the card. Whereas when she's talking about the Lenormand, the ring is the ring is the ring. There's no, there's no deviation from it. It has pretty much a set meaning. There's a little bit, maybe a little like bit a of a whole list of meanings, meanings that will go yeah. with each card. Yeah. So they so, say, you know, like if you put 10 tarot readers in a room and you throw down a reading, you'll get 10 different interpretations of those cards. You then go ahead and set 10 Lenormand readers in a room and lay out a set of cards and you'll get pretty much the exact same interpretation for them out of everybody. So does, I know most tarot decks, they come with a booklet that kind of like gives you a brief understanding of what the card is. Is this deck the same way? And then after you answer that, we're almost at the top of the hour. Please give the audience their, your contact information where they can get touch with you. Okay. Um, so some of the Lenormand decks do come with like a little white book, but I mean, any book on Lenormand, because again, it's a small set of meanings to them. The biggest thing is to figure out what dialect of Lenormand you want to speak because they're like what is called the German school of Lenormand interprets some of the cards very differently than what is called the French school of Lenormand. Um, and it's really more dialects of the same language. Things like in the French way of looking at it, the bear, for example, is one of the big the um, differences. The bear is a mother, uh, and so more of a female figure, or it can be an overweight person, or it can refer to diet. In the German, it's a man. So you have a completely different sex to it, gender associated with it. Um, so you really have to focus on like which, so it, pay, it, it pays if you're going to start with Lenormand to kind of watch a couple of different things on it and feel what resonates for you as far as some of those differences or just stick with one and, and do it because what can get confusing is learning from authors who are in different dialects of it basically coming from those different schools. Um, Caitlin Matthews, for example, tends to be a little bit more towards the German. Rana George is very much in the French method. So was Donna De La Rose, which is where I learned mine. She's got a wonderful channel. Um, so me in the chat, go ahead and put in my... So where can people find you if they want to get a reading from you? What's your website? There we go. So there's our mysticalhaven.com. And we've called it our mystical haven because of the way the law of attraction really brought this into our lives. And then just how kind of mystical and magical it feels here. So, and I'll put my email address in here right and we'll we'll have those in the comments so you guys can uh, right. find diane if you're interested and our links mm -hmm. also will be below um the in the description box so i want to thank you so much for spending this time with us diane i find it very informative i'm all about ecosystems and I'm really excited to see how you build your ecosystem within your own space that you have now and how it moves forward in the future. And I recommend Diane for reading. She's excellent. Oh, um, she's very good. She's done a few for me and she's really good. And so I guess that's it unless Joyce, do you have anything to add? Any other questions? Yeah, I, wanted, I wanted to say, Diane, it was a pleasure meeting you. And I think we need to have Diane back, in the show, back on the show in maybe a year to see how she's progressed. 
I'd actually love to come back on sometime to do a health conversation with you guys too. I've got 14 years of nutrition study behind me from when I lost my previous husband. I'm the the body. Yeah, Yeah, I know. Yeah, definitely. We'll definitely come on sometime for us to do the health and wellness stuff too. Right. We'll definitely have to have you back. We'll, we'll, we'll pencil you in for another time. So this has been earth and body ecosystems and we'll next week we'll be going into into the paranormal so you have to stay tuned to see the special guests we have next week many blessings much love i kind of got that from diane many blessings much love remember to be wild and breathe (laughs) and keep shining keep shining bye